Good afternoon, Metro Praise International. How's everybody doing this afternoon? All right, all right. Good to see you guys uh, on this day, November 13, 2016. Uh, I got to say, it's been an emotional week, as you know, with the elections and everything. And we have a new president, President Donald, uh, President-elect Donald Trump. But uh, I'm not going to go into politics, but I just want to welcome you guys in the house of the Lord. Uh, I'm just, I'm glad to see you guys here. Um, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time here, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us this afternoon. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. Now, before we begin the service, we have someone come up to share a testimony of what God has done in their life. So I would like to call up my dear brother, Augustine Roman. Yes, please give him a warm welcome as he comes up and shares. All right. Oh, man, you know, God is so good that he even blesses us on things that we don't even ask for, you know. He just knows what's in our heart. And uh, even though I'm not trying to encourage not to ask, it's good to ask, but it just amazes me that even though we don't ask, he still blesses us because he sees our heart. So I've been married since September. Woo! <laughs> uh, um, and it's just like before that, when I started uh, coming to MPI and all that, I, I wanted a girlfriend, you know, I wanted to date, but I just was too shy to ask, you know, to ask God. I was like, you know what, I just want to grow in mentorship. I want to grow in discipleship. I want to graduate 101, you know, and God saw my heart. And over the over time, he blessed me with a girlfriend that eventually became my fiance and then my wife. So not only that, but in the process, you know, even though we, you know, she lost her job and we had our little hiccups. God was still there and he was always faithful and true, you know. So that that is like a testimony that I wanted to give. I'm just so amazed and just so wild that he's always there. He's always faithful and true. He's always providing. He's always leading. And he just never leaves us down. He's always there going before us and in us. And I just wanted to give this verse here. Oh fingerprint sorry okay uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 and 34 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will all, will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own so I was experiencing a lot of trials but God always remained faithful and true because I in my heart and my attitude, I was always, I'm just going to go along with this. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to seek his righteousness and his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for being such a good God. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross and pay the sins that we deserve, Lord. We did not ask for this, Lord, but you, out of your love, you gave yourself out to us, uh, Jesus, and poured your blood, Lord, and defeated sin once and for all, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being such a good God, Lord. Lord, bless this time, Lord. I pray that it will go your way. I pray that your presence will be tangible, Lord. And I pray that those who are hungry, Lord, will be filled, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
presence fall. Let your presence fall. Spirit of God, Father, oh. 
Spirit of God. Spirit of God, fall through on us. We need your presence. Your kingdom come, your
Lord, we love your presence. Great are you, Lord. Let's just be still in the presence of the Lord for a few moments. At this time, if somebody feels led to share a word, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. I feel like the Lord wants to speak. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you, Lord. I feel like the Lord is wanting some of you to know that he is constant. He never changes. He won't lead you astray. Some of you in life right now are experiencing things and feel like everything's spinning out of control and God wants you to know that he's immovable. And put your faith in him and his word. Take him at his word and stand on him as your solid rock, your firm foundation, and trust. Because if it feels like everything is flying all over the place, all around you, and you can't get your thoughts together, you can't think straight, God wants you to know that be still. He wants you to know to be still and know that he is God. Be still and trust him. Take him at his word. Come on, let's sing, Great Are You, Lord. Some of you need to declare that over your situation today, over your circumstance, the mountain that you are facing. You declare that he is great. He is great in your marriage. He is great in your faith. He is great in the workplace. He is great over our nation, the nation of America right now, and the unrest that we are experiencing. Come on, I want us to turn our attention right now to pray for our country. If you can lift your hands all across this room, we're gonna pray that the blood of Jesus covers over our land, that where there is brokenness, that a healing will come, where there is division and unrest and the peace of Christ would rule and reign hallelujah come on start crying out for your nation start crying out for the cities of America who are in turmoil they're allowing violence and rioting to take over but the church of Jesus Christ will rise up for such a time as this and speak peace to this situation God we lift up America to you we bleed the blood of Jesus over this land. Bring your healing. Bring your peace. Bring unity where there is division, oh God. Devil, we demand you leave. We speak against your lies. We bind them up and we cast them out. And we 
declare that the peace of Christ will rule and reign in people's hearts and minds because great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. We rise up as the church in Chicago to take our place and declare that America belongs to our God and your righteousness will rule, that your justice will prevail in the mighty name of Jesus. You are awesome in this place. You are awesome in our nation. You are awesome in our cities, oh God. Woo! you today oh God we thank you that you rule and reign in our hearts and you rule and reign in this great nation oh God and we put our trust in you we put our hope in you and Lord we pray for healing over our land that repentance would come and that we would bend our knees before heaven and say Jesus Christ is Lord in Jesus name and everybody said amen come on clap your hands for Jesus this afternoon he is most worthy of our praise. You guys could turn around and shake your neighbor's hand. Greet the people around you as you find your way to your seat. Praise the Lord. It's good to have you guys here for second service. Welcome to Metro Praise International. I'm going to preach the gospel to you guys at this time. For those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. On behalf of all the leaders, we're so thankful that you joined us for service today. I'm going to be speaking from John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This message is for those of you in this room today who are not right with the Lord. You have not committed your life to him 100%. You have not repented of your sins and said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm going to do it your way. Some of you in this room are hungry and you're thirsty for something real. Your soul and your spirit are crying out saying, I, I want a real God. I want to know who this real God is because this world has left you high and dry. And Jesus is telling you that he's the bread of life. Only he can satisfy. Only he can make you feel full. He will take away your thirst so that you will never thirst again. Because in him are rivers of living water. So if you're hurting today, if you've been looking for love in all the wrong places, you've been looking for other things to satisfy, and you've just simply in your life have said, I'm not going to try God. I'm just not going to do it his way. I want to encourage you and I plead with you today to humble yourself and come to Jesus, the bread of life. Come to him, the rivers of living water, and you'll never thirst again. So with all eyes closed all across this room, if you mean business with God today and you want to have a personal relationship with Christ, you want to surrender your life to him and make him your Lord, your master, you want to follow his commands, I want you to pray with me as I pray for you. 
and come into agreement with the things that I'm saying and give your life to Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear the good news of salvation. Jesus, we thank you that you made it possible because you died on the cross and rose again that we could come to you, the bread of life, so that we, can not, so that we don't have to be hungry again. And we could come to you, Jesus, and believe in you and never thirst again in this life and in the life to come. We thank you that in you there is forgiveness. In you there is salvation. In you, oh God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And everybody said, amen. In just a few moments, we're going to have the altar workers come here up to the front. You guys could stand up to your feet with me at this time. If you prayed a prayer or agreed with mine and you know that you need to get right with God today, do not let this opportunity pass you by. In just a few moments, we're going to spend some time fellowshipping and greeting one another. I want to encourage you to come and get prayer and find out how to get plugged into the church and be a disciple of Jesus. At this time, we're going to recite our confession of faith together because this is our Christian worldview. This is how we see society around us. And there's brothers and sisters in the Lord all around the world that are standing on these truths with us. So we're not alone. Are you guys excited about that? Come on, let's recite this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father's Son and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the Church of Jesus Christ, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Give it up for Jesus. Why don't you guys turn around, greet some people, give somebody a hug or a handshake.
Give it up for Jesus. Who's excited they came to church today? Come on, make some noise. Convince me that you're happy to be here. Second service. Welcome to Metro Praise International. If this is your first time here, thank you for coming and joining us. Uh, keep, keep on inviting your friends and your family. We're excited about all that God is doing in our midst and in the city. Our services here are every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So we have King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate every Friday at 7 p.m. for our teenagers, 11 to 18. God is doing awesome things in our youth ministry. So if you know anybody in that age group, please invite them to be with us here on Friday. God is doing awesome things in the lives of our young people. How many of you guys excited for the talent show auditions? Come on, this is for our Christmas service, so we're prepping in advance. If you are in the 201 class, an elder or a deacon, we're inviting you to come and show off your talent and audition for that service November 20th at 3.30. If you have any other questions about that, please see Pastor Jerry or Adam for further details. We also have our Thanksgiving outreach coming up. I can't believe Thanksgiving's right around the corner. So meet us here at MPI at 10 a.m. on November 24th, the morning of Thanksgiving. We'll all go as a big church family to the west side by Ohio Park. We're going to join a church there and help them to serve the, uh, the people in their community and meet their needs and give them a wonderful, hot Thanksgiving meal. So let's go out strong. Mark that in your calendars. And then we come back, we all could be with our families. Amen. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us to live by. And we want to do that with all of our heart. And our strategy here is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism, to preach the gospel to the lost around you. And our goal by doing all of that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Look to your neighbor and say, that's pretty awesome. Come on, God wants you to be a part of that. So it's time to get connected. If you have not connected to the church through our life groups, please turn your handout around. Look at the schedule and the different types of life groups that we have and find a place to belong, to get connected to, to fellowship. This is a snapshot of what's happening this week. Kicking it off today is our single moms life group. Come on, give it up for our single mamas. Child care is always provided here at the church at 5.30. They're meeting today. Tuesday, the Resistance Youth Life Group. They're meeting at the church at 6. Wednesday, our King's Kids Life Group. Infant to 11 years old every Wednesday, 6.30 here at the church. We have the best children's workers. Awesome Royal Rangers Boys Club and Impact Girls Club. God is doing awesome things in that ministry. There's about 100 or plus uh, every Wednesday. So God is moving and grooving in the lives of our children. So if you have parents in that age group, you want them to be here on Wednesday nights. Thursday is our gang outreach, 18 years and up. They meet at the church, going out to the streets, preaching the gospel. Every Friday, there's two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivid's house. 18 years and up, meet there at 7 p.m. Pick one of those two houses. God is doing awesome things. Get refreshed throughout the week in God's word and the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then Saturday, the Ambassadors Youth Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 7 p.m. They're being, uh, 1 p.m., sorry, it looks like a 7 from up here. 1 p.m. here at the church. Then we want to mentor you. Look to neighbors, say, get mentored. We have the 101 book, which is called Welcome to Your New Life. We do that one-on-one. -on -one. So you pick a leader. They'll take you through that book. 
really encourage you to be a disciple of Christ and get grounded in the Word of God. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we teach you and train you to be a leader so that one day you could be appointed as a deacon or an elder in the church and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism. Every Saturday from 5 to 8, we hit the streets preaching the gospel, street witnessing, letting the people know around us in this great city that Jesus is the answer, that without them they cannot go to heaven and so God has allowed that great privilege to be left in our hands to go out and make disciples of all the nations. We want to let Jesus, uh, Chicago know that Jesus saves. So if you've never gone evangelizing, I want you to meet the team out here. Join the Marines for Jesus and do it because it will change your life. It will change your life. So in recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people, a strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. How many of you guys believe God can do that? Come on, he is awesome. Are you guys ready to give your tithes and offerings today? God is good. We're going to get into the lesson in just a few moments, but to recap, a tithe is 10% of your income given regularly to the church. An offering is an amount given above your tithe, which God lays on your heart to give, and he requires for us to give generously and uh, cheerfully. So let's get into the lesson today. We're on lesson four. You can go to the Metro Praise Facebook page and click on the link if you want to follow along or just look up at the screen. This section is all about overcoming hindrances, and today it's overcoming discouragement. How many of you guys have ever been discouraged before? So we're going to learn in this lesson to not allow discouragement to take over our life in regards to giving our tithe. So the definition, a hindrance, is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. We shouldn't allow any hindrance to keep us from obeying God fully. So we must overcome these hindrances. We're going to read from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So look to your neighbor say, don't give up. We cannot give up. God promises a harvest. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves for continually doing good and following God's commands because God's got our back. So here are the three main points from that verse. Number one, don't get weary in doing good. We should never get tired and discouraged in following God's commands because they are life-giving to our souls. However, you may get tempted to get discouraged and give up because you don't see changes in your finances. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you encouragement and energy to remain faithful. Remain faithful all the time, friends. We cannot live for God based solely on our feelings. We must believe and trust that when we put God first, follow his commands, he's going to come through because he's not a man that he should lie. Number two, at the proper time. God promised there is a proper time that we will be blessed because of our giving. But if we don't give generously all the time, we will miss that time of blessing. Therefore, be consistent in your giving all the time and get ready for harvest time. Never quit, never give up. And number three, those who don't give up reap a harvest. You may have a hundred excuses to be discouraged and not be a giver all the time. But one reason should encourage you to never give up, love for God. Out of your love for God, be encouraged to never give up being generous because God's blessings are coming your way. And the only one that can get in the way of God's blessings is ourself. So get out of the way, remain faithful, keep your eyes on Jesus, and he will come through. In summary, overcome discouragement by being encouraged by God's promises that you will reap a harvest. And let's apply this to, uh, lesson to our lives in three ways. Number one, 
Be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and your offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have allowed fatigue and discouragement to prevent you from being consistent in your giving to God. And three, ask God to encourage and strengthen you to never give up in doing good so you can reap a harvest at the proper time. If that gets you excited, because I know some of you guys get excited, I love this lesson today. Let's recite this over our life, this confession of faith, on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. You guys can please stand up with me this afternoon. Let's prepare to give the Lord our best today. Again, we believe that the Bible teaches that a tithe is 10% of our income given regularly to the church. And we designate the offering towards missions and towards building. You could put the exact amount that you want allocated towards each category there on the envelope. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry for that today. And four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. We could recite this together. Philippians 4:19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you, God, that you are the God of hope. And we encourage ourselves in you today, God, because we're trusting in your word, that we are not going to allow discouragement to take away our faithfulness to you, to put you first, God, to follow your commands, to trust you with the tithe and the offering that we give. I ask that you would bless it, that you would multiply it, bless and favor your people on their jobs, increase them, promote them, God. I pray for your faithfulness to be upon them, your favor to be upon them as they put you first, especially in this area of finances, that we will see everything in our life come in order. Order. So we trust you. We believe that at the proper time we will receive a harvest if we don't give up. So we put our, trace, our trust and our faith in you, God, because we know that you are not a man that you should lie. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you so much. You guys come on up and we thank you for your generosity. are a calm bunch today. A lot of mellowness going on right now.
All right. How many are ready to talk about politics? <laughs> I know it's been a tough week, but I got to talk about it today. Good to see you guys here. We had a baby dedication in the first service. A lot of the normal second service people were there. If you're wondering where they're at, they're not missing from church. They just came to the first service. But uh, let me just talk to you a little bit about politics before we get into our message today. When we think about our nation and what we are, are experiencing right now, we cannot do this without looking at the Bible. We have to put the Bible in perspective to what we're doing. And uh, what the Bible teaches is pretty clear about moral issues. The Bible's very clear that abortion is a sin. It's a sin. The Bible's also very clear that homosexuality is a sin. And so when uh, people are going to go to the polls and vote, some are going to vote Democratic and as a Christian, and they're going to say, well, you know what? I don't think the president should be chosen based on those values. So I'm going to vote on maybe immigration. I'm going to vote maybe on social services and those different things. But there are a lot of Christians in this nation, like my family and how I've been raised, that we put our principles first. We vote first with what is morally responsible as uh, what we should do as a nation, which is morally, morally responsible. Now, when you come to this election, there was a lot of different options. And by the way, Sunday night, we had a talk last week on God and politics. If you want to go back and listen to it, basically 100 people were here, and it was a good talk. And so here's the thing. I voted Republican, and I voted Trump because those are the values that I like. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate immigration laws or want to help those to come to this nation. That doesn't mean that I don't love the African-American community or different things like that. As a matter of fact, when I went to a Bible college in the South, in New Orleans, African-American pastors who were raised in the South during segregation, when there were signs that said whites only, blacks only, voted for Trump in this election. And so you have to understand, my idea of black history is according to their idea of black history. So if you're an African-American, you say, you know, um, like the guy that taught me, Pastor Thomas Gross, he had someone say to he said, I voted for Trump. And they said to him, you know, Trump's going to make us all slaves and he's going to do all this, this and that to us. He said, I've been raised with that my whole life. If some of you guys saw the Facebook video of the mother that pretended she was going to kick her son out of the house because he voted for Trump and making him cry, he, he actually posted that on his page saying, that's how I was raised in my community. And uh, you have to understand, it's not all just black and it's not all just white. So there are conservative white people. You saw a lot of uh, them vote for Trump, but you also saw conservative minorities. And that's the same thing when it comes to uh, immigration. The man that's taught me the most about immigration came here through his mother being illegal, Ishmael Lopez. And he is more strict on immigration than me. As a matter of fact, as we have talked about, she came from Mexico illegally. And he talked about that last week. You can go back and listen. As he describes what immigration does to the nation when it's done wrong he doesn't say it as a hypocrite he's like no my mom came here it was wrong you know but now that I'm here I want to uphold the laws of the land that are here now I say all of that because there's a lot of accusations right now especially in a liberal city like Chicago and I want you guys to understand this that because you live in this city and because all of your friends think the way you do that doesn't mean that's the way the rest of the world thinks 
So don't, don't get caught up in a bubble where you think this is the way the world is. Many of you probably don't know a lot of people from Texas. Well, I know a lot of people from Texas. I've been to Texas many times. Texas is a Republican state, right? They voted red. They voted Republican. People in Texas are Latino. People in Texas are African-American. They're Anglo. They love Jesus, too. Many of them out there, many are good Christians, and they voted that way. So if you're going to paint every Trump supporter as some hick, hillbilly uh, that that hates people and that's racist that's the same way listen that's the same way for a republican to paint every democrat and and let me tell you because i know i have southern friends that look at us in chicago and watch those black kids beat up that white man saying he voted for trump voting for trump they think Dairy is like that, or every African-American in here is like that. And I have to correct them and say, no, shame on you to think everybody in Chicago is a racist towards conservatism or towards white people. You have to understand that. And I have to say the same thing to you guys. If you think 60 million people who voted for Trump are racist bigots, you're living in la-la land. You're not living in a real world. The real world has nuances. And so here's the way I want to say this now. Everybody look up at me, please. Do not let this distract you from what this church is doing. This church is a church of multi-nations, Asian, African-American, Latino, and Anglo. We are a church of right around 225 people, 250 when we have our larger events, sometimes upwards of 300, but on average around 225. Listen to me. Listen to me right here. We are one of about only 10 churches that I know of in this city. And I'm talking, I know a lot of churches in this city that have the multi, multi-racial uh, group that we have here right now. Some of the biggest churches that you know in this city, and I can name off their names and start saying this church, is almost all one race. This one church over here, almost all African Americans. This church over here, almost all Puerto Ricans. This church down the road, almost all Mexicans. This church down the road, I can point to church after church. There's only about 10 churches that I know of that are over 200 people that have this kind of diversity. And the reason is, think of that word, diversity. Unity in our differing opinions. Unity in our differing opinions about things. And so that means, I I even went back and looked at to 2012. Election, And that means when Obama won back then, I do not make this church suffer and put people down on social media because I didn't like Barack Obama. And listen to me. Everybody look up at me here, please. I disliked Barack Obama, President Obama, probably more than any person you know that dislikes Trump. I want to tell you that I dislike Obama in so many 101 things, and it has nothing to do with his skin color, nothing, because I dislike Clinton just as much, if not more, than I like him. I'm talking Bill Clinton, the first, uh, uh, you know, real president that I got to vote for as a young adult coming of age, you know. I've gotten to be a part of a, f- a few elections. Uh, Clinton ran twice, and then Bush had twice, and then and then uh, Obama twice. If you put that all together, it's been about my voting age. I don't think I got to vote for the first Bush. But listen to me here. I went back and looked at November, tw- uh, November 2012. You know what I said? No pity patty parties here. Republicans, conservatives lost. We'll do better. Let's pray. Let's change the world. And that's how we need to be in this church. We need to not let politics divide what God is doing here. We are stronger than that. 
We are better than that. So, of course, you have the freedom on your Facebook to put whatever you want. But if you are intentionally trying to cause division among your brothers and sisters, I want to tell you to be careful about that because that will show what you have in your heart. Your immaturity, your hatred, your bitterness, your anger, so forth and so on. And then what our city does, and you know this as well as I do, it doesn't reflect all the Democrats or all the liberals, but what our city does in those protests is absolutely disgusting. To burn the American flag, which most of these young people have never shed a drop of blood. To burn that flag the way they do is disrespectful. Now, our Constitution allows the freedom of speech, even the speech that we don't like. So it allows you to burn our flag. But my friends, most of these people have never been to another part of the world. This is the greatest nation on the planet. This is. And if all of those Hollywood uh, celebrities, entertainment folks want to leave, let them go let them take their bags right now and go because listen to me we don't need them and I know some of you you have your feeling certain this and that that's okay be angry be upset but in your anger sin not that's what the Bible says in your anger sin not so if you want to participate in those kind of movements go ahead participate with them but you be better if you're going to participate with the immigration movement, you be better. You don't go downtown waving the country of the flag you came from. You wave the American flag and say, by God's grace, I want to live in this nation and be a blessing to this nation. If you want to be a part of the, the, the movement that stops the violence in the African-American communities, that's great. Go down there and do it. But don't wear a shirt that says, F the police, and don't burn the flag and cause trouble that way. And let me just say this as well. Don't don't be so ignorant as to go off a Facebook, YouTube video before you know all the facts. We're not even getting all the facts in these YouTube videos, and people are running out there storming into it, and they don't even care what the deal is. Like this last one that happened out, out there in, in the, the one of those Maywood places, wherever, and the guy pulled a gun on an undercover officer. My friends, we have friends that are police officers. I have a family member. My brother-in-law is a police officer. We just had some in the first and the second. Listen to me. This is absolute stupidity. If you are in a fight and an undercover man, uh, a police officer says, I am the police now, the fight is done. Put down whatever you have, get back into your car. And you can see in the video that they're arguing with the man with the gun drawn. They're, they're still yelling, they're still arguing. And then someone else pulls out their gun. My friend, that is how you die lawfully in this nation. And that is why the shooter of Ferguson, the police, they did not get arrested. And many of these police are not getting arrested. And they are in liberal cities. Many of them are standing before the courts with multi-ethnic groups. Like, for example, one of the girls in our church was actually in the, uh, the Zimmerman case in Florida. She left here, moved to Florida, and one of the first pieces of mail she got was to be in the Zimmerman trial as a juror. And she got on Dr. Phil and all these things. She let off George Zimmerman. You know why? Because even as a mixed African-American Latina lady, when she saw the facts, the facts are the facts. If you're in a fight and someone is at, uh, you're in a fight and you're fighting and doing whatever and, that, and you've gotten into that fight and you're messing with somebody that has a concealed carry license, you can die. So you better be careful with kind of what kind of fights you're getting into. And I know I'm just saying this to you guys because I love you so much. I know this can step on Chicagoans' toes. But listen to me. I've lived in three states. I've lived in Illinois. 
I lived in Indiana, and I've lived in uh, Louisiana. And I'm just telling you, the way we think here is not the way the whole world thinks. So if you want to try to draw everybody into a box and do those things, you're going to suffer in life. And so let's not make it a racist thing. Let's, let me just give you an example in, in, in closing to my talk before the talk. If you want to vote for Hillary Clinton and you want to do that, I'm going to say, for what reasons are you going to do it? I'm not going to assume that all the things I've heard on conservative talk radio are going to be about you. I want to know why. I'm going to ask you why. I'm going to get to know why you want to. You may say, well, you know what? I want most, more social services, or these different things. Okay. Well, I'm not going to stereotype you. You understand? If an African-American person says, I'm going to vote for uh, Hillary Clinton, I'm not going to say, oh, is that because you're black and everybody in your community has taught you that way and now the Democrats made you a new slave and you're on the uh, Democrat plantation? Well, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. Are you understand? That's what I hear when I'm sitting around the table with other black Republicans. That's what black Republicans tell me is that the Democratic Party is the new black plantation. That's what the man said in this church. And he's a pastor in New Orleans. And what was funny is that he's actually been in segregation. He's actually suffered. And the people today, these young adults of the Black Lives Matter movement, have never suffered it. And he's the one calling out their party. So it's, it just seems to be confusing to a lot of uh, African-Americans what's going on. It's hard for me to try to communicate that in a way that's not racist. But, but if you come to me and say, well, I, I want to vote for Hillary Clinton, I'm going to hear why. If you're a Latino or, or, or someone that's come here to our country, you know, from another country directly, you know, as of this generation or your family, I'm not going to assume like, oh, you just want a free ride here. You want everybody to break the laws. You want open borders. You don't care if terrorists come in. You don't care if people break our laws. You know, I'm, I'm going to listen to what you say. Well, the same thing is true if you hear a white person wanting to vote for Trump. Oh, why you white? White is right. You don't like black people. You don't like Hispanic people. You guys just want an elite class. You want to have corruption in the government. Is that why you want to hold us down? You see how that works both ways? So what we need to do in this church is listen to what we are saying, not listen to what the media is saying about us. Let someone define for themselves why they vote the way they vote. Let someone here tell you why they do what they do. Now, let me just say this. We do have Donald Trump as our president, and just as much as I did not like uh, um, Barack Obama being my president, he was my president. And I went back and looked at that post, and it said both in 2008 and in 2012, I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to do what's right. And that's what we need to do here. And if you think, everybody look up at me, please. If you think I will not rebuke Donald Trump from this pulpit when he does wrong, then you don't know me. Because there is no favoritism towards him. Let him start to put across some of his bills. And if those bills are unrighteous, I'll tell you about here. Just like always, you'll be able to go home and make your own decision. But I preached against Bush. And let me just tell you this, because some, we're talking about the minorities and different things. Some with Barack Obama, that was the first African-American president, and that was a big deal. But listen, all the other presidents used to look like me, white people. And I'm telling you, for the first eight years of me pastoring, basically, was when Clinton was in office. And I couldn't help but talk about him almost every single week. So skin color has nothing to do with it in my mind. I will rebuke them as fast as everybody else. And, and, and now let me just say this. We are Christians here. 
So that means the things that, that Trump does that you don't like, you can pray for and do whatever. But you should support the things that have to do with the values that those of us who did vote for him are hoping that he does. Because right now, he's putting people like Dr. Ben Carson, he's putting him in charge of things. He's putting conservative people in charge of things. And the LGBT movement and the abortion Planned Parenthood movement is hating that right now. He is keeping his word and appointing the people that we know are righteous and so my friends if this this will tell your heart if you see him starting to stand with these men like I could show you the African by the way you want to talk about not being racist this this is blows my mind when you look at the presidential uh, nominees or not the nominees but the uh, primaries for for the Republican Party you had two Latinos you had one African-American Ben Carson and then you had the rest white people would you have for the Democrats Democratic Party. I'm not even trying to just make this about Republican, Democrat. I'm just saying, come on, stupid is a stupid does. Don't believe lies because somebody else tells you it. We would have got behind Ben Carson like that. We, I voted for Cruz in the, the primaries because he is way more in line with my values as a constitutional conservative, which, by the way, is more strict than a Trump. Just listen to the liberal media when they attack Cruz. Just look it up, liberals against Cruz. They will tell you in their own words, we would rather have Trump than Cruz, and I voted for Cruz. Cruz, and so did a lot of our elders here, because he's a conservative constitutionalist. That means he was holding us to what our Constitution believed, probably stronger than anybody else. But now let me say this moving forward. Trump is putting African Americans in places of power. He's putting Latinos in places of power. Cruz could possibly be nominated for the Supreme Court, and so as a judge. And so here's some things I wanted to ask you, just as we move forward as Christians. Putting past the election, putting past all that stuff we've seen on Facebook, when you, if and when you start seeing us try to take on abortion, are you going to support him then? Because I would have supported anybody in politics who would take on abortion and take on Planned Parenthood. And if someone comes in into the policies and starts trying to, to overturn the same-sex marriage laws, which should never have been done in the first place. You may not understand this and what happened, but you see the, the, the proposition that went through California is what they brought to the, uh, the Supreme Court. That had been passed by the states. The states should decide who can marry in their states. The states should decide how the abortion things are done. And I guarantee you the moment they loose that off of the Supreme Courts, states like Republican states like Texas and Arkansas and Mississippi, and I don't care how they've taught you about these people, I've been in Mississippi, I've been in Arkansas, I've been, they're all not backwards, you understand? What we have to understand is that we, and me to say this as well, in Chicago, when I travel around the world, or around America, and tell people I'm from here, do you know what they all think about us? They all think we're the people on the news killing and shooting. Okay, so be careful about how you stereotype, but there is a lot more family values in cities in the South than there is in Chicago. So don't, just don't get that twisted. If you think to yourself, this is the greatest American city based on morality, you, my friend, are deceived. We are one of the worst in the nation looking at our governors going to jail, looking at all the violence on our streets. So don't think to yourself, this is normal. And by the way, 50 years ago, it wasn't even normal here. That's another discussion. And so I say this to say, if you're truly a Christian, then right now you should think to yourself, why did Franklin Graham, why did Jensen Franklin, why did... Uh uh, the president of uh, Liberty University, Jerry Falwell Jr. Why did great men of God invest into this? Well, they're either wrong and there's going to be uh, a, a turning on Donald Trump and we will be the first to rebuke him. 
or there's a potential for our religious freedom to go in places that you guys had no idea what they were trying to do. Hobby Lobby, a billion-dollar business, had to bring themselves to the Supreme Court to get out of paying for abortions to their employees. Do you understand? If those Supreme Court justices would have turned the other way, Christian businesses would be forced to fund abortions. And then if they didn't, they would lose their religious liberty. These are facts. Whether you believe it or not, these are facts. And so you should support freedom of religion, no matter who you voted for, you should be supporting that right now. You should, you should be supporting Israel. And you don't even want to get me started because of how, uh, how President Obak, uh, Barack treated Israel. You don't even want to get me started. You should support Israel. You should support uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And you should support pro-life that we should have freedom of the babies in the womb, not freedom to kill them. The babies should be free to live, the right to life. Are you listening to me? And you should support not allowing a same-sex agenda the LGBT agenda to take over our nation. This is what we were told at the very beginning. Some of you weren't even saved at this time, so don't get sassy with me. But, you know, let me just say some of you weren't even saved. They told us this, the LGBT community told us this from the very beginning. Pa uh, churches, pastors, schools, we don't want to mess with you. That's not what we're here to do. We just want equal rights. We don't want uber rights. We just want equal rights. But you see, an, a, a homosexual, lesbian, whatever, transgender can get married. They can get married. They've always been able to get married. They just have to get married to the opposite sex. That's the way it's always been. See, when they compared it to civil rights, and let me take another rabbit trail. Why do you think Martin Luther King's niece supported Trump? Why do you think men that were in the civil rights movement, one of them was the four that actually sat in on a diner in the South because they were not getting same service? He supported Trump. Why do you think so many of the civil rights, true, not these hucksters, not these shucking and jiving men who you know don't do anything for the city like Jesse Jackson, all of them. I'm talking about real men of integrity, people you would want on your team who lived holy, who lived right, who stood up for righteousness. Why do you think they supported Trump? Because they understood that civil rights was protected under this kind of policy. Democrats are the ones who supported slavery. And a lot of you got in your mind, the South, the South, the South. Listen to me. The South was democratic during all the time of slavery. That's why they voted against it. The South was democratic all during the time of segregation. See, that's why you got to go back and listen to these African-American men who studied their own history. As the South became more Republican, the black person became more free. Study to see for yourself. But anyways, when, when we get in this mindset that, uh, uh, that the LGBT just wanted to marry, it was not actually an equal right. It was an uber right. But they said, let us get it. Let us get it. We won't mess with anybody. But we knew the moment they get it, they will then take it and ramrod every other agenda they have upon the church, upon government, upon uh, schools, and look at exactly what happened. The moment same-sex marriage is legal, what do they do now? They teach it in sex ed to our children. Why? Because it's legal. We can get married. Now your children have to hear about same-sex as a child. They wanted our children. The next thing, they said, oh, well, we, we'll leave churches alone. No, they won't. Now they want to get married in the churches. Any church that owns campgrounds, that owns uh, these retreat centers, anything that they can get 
to on the, the, the edge of the church that has the, the, the church separation uh, of the government, you know, with the nonprofit. They want to tear it down. So they go to these campsites and say, we want to get married here because they want to force it. And then to the churches that have schools, they want to, they send in, you, and I know I've talked to gay and lesbians people, and they say, I have no agenda except to love life and go on with people and be happy. That's fine. But that doesn't mean their movement, their movement doesn't have an agenda. They, they just like the atheist unions send out their people to do this. The gay and lesbians send out their people. They say, go get married. Ask if you can go get married at Pensacola uh, a Retreat Center, Christian Retreat Center. And the moment they get denied, they go right to the courts and they say, we've been denied a marriage at Pensacola campgrounds. You can look it up. And, th and then they go to the bakers, same thing. Bake me a cake that says, I love gays and lesbians. And you can see that people in New York and people in San Francisco did the same thing. They, uh, Christians, they called up people, uh, bakers in San Francisco, and they said, hey, we want uh, you to bake a cake, because they knew they were gay and lesbian-owned. We want you to bake a cake that says pro-marriage, pro-this, pro-that. They cussed them out, hung up the phone, but there's never a civil right violation. Do you understand? Because now what the gay and lesbian has is not equal rights, it's uber rights. They want to be able to force their worldview on you. And so what is tolerance? Tolerance is not just you uh, agreeing to disagree. In 20, 30 years ago, that's what tolerance meant. I tolerate you. I agree. You disagree. We're fine. No, but tolerance now to the college student is this. If you don't agree with me, you're a bigot. Do you understand the difference? If you don't agree with me, you're a bigot. I already had a young man debate with me on here because I said racism can go both ways. He says, no, it's impossible for Latinos and black people to be racist towards white people because white people are their oppressors. And I just wrote him as quick as I could. I go, you don't know what you're talking about. Racism can be in anybody's heart. And then I explained to him what happened in Hotel Rwanda, you know, the movie, and then what happened there in, in Rwanda with the Tutsis and the Hutu. They oppressed each other. One was in charge, oppressed the other one based on their race. The one that was oppressed then hated the other race, and then genocide went both ways. It doesn't matter if you're oppressed or unoppressed. Racism is in the heart of people. So that's a lot of rabbit trails here. But let me just say this. I got a lot of little things to say. But, here, but here's the thing. We as Christians then have a choice to what are we going to do with the gay and lesbian movement. So this is what we say. We love you. You can do whatever you want in the privacy of your home. It's a free country. But you don't, you don't have the right to force me to bake a cake that goes against my values. You don't have the right to make me hire you when it goes against my values in a religious setting. And that counts for schools, campgrounds, and so forth. And so that's how the agenda works. And if you don't think, I'm just saying this to you, I'm not trying to tell you guys were bamboozled. Some of you are democratic on your own opinion, I mean, on your own studies, and that was the best thing in your opinion to do. I'm not here to put you down for that. I'm just here to let you know that the Christians that you see are rejoicing, are rejoicing for that. That's why I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing that now we're going to get Supreme Court judges. If he keeps his word, that's going to protect religious liberties. Now, if he doesn't, and if somebody says to me, what if he doesn't? Well, first of all, uh, they say, well, he's broken all these marriage vows. How can we trust him? So forth and so on. That is very true. That is one of the most disgusting things about him is how he treats women. I'm totally with you on that. And I will never be ashamed to tell you how disgusting that is. But here's my thing. People have said to me, how can we trust him? Right off the bat, he had a choice to whether or not go more towards Ron Paul, libertarian, and pick a vice president. But he went to the highest level of conservatism. Study who Mike Pence is. And he picked him as his running mate. And now understand why Dr. Carson is on his team and the men that he's named from the, from the Family Research Council, FRC, see who he's appointing. He is keeping his word, and that's why I'm rejoicing.
Does everybody get that? Now, just this last little caveat. When it comes down to immigration, the, the idea of immigration is always going to be a hot topic that's debated. And so even Christians disagree on that. Some Christians have more of a liberal agenda with that, but they're still conservative in their moral values. And some are just conservative in that as well. I probably fall somewhere in between. And if you want to listen to my message on immigration, just go to our website, type in immigration, and you'll see what I teach on that. I have a probably more of a liberal mindset. I'm kind of more of like a Statue of Liberty immigration believer like give us your hurt give us your broken you know give, give us all that you want we will take but I also want you to understand that right now we are in a war it may not feel like a war it may not look like a war but we are in a war with radical Islamic terrorism and so that is the part that I do agree with the constitutionalists and those who are very strict on immigration which is we don't owe them the right to come here without them obeying our laws so we should open our laws, our borders. We should be welcoming, as the Bible teaches, to the stranger, to the foreigner, to the alien. But as the constitutionalist will tell you, we do not owe it to them until we can vet them and know who they are. Who are these people coming across the border? And do I believe Donald Trump could have said it a lot better when he first came out with the rapists and all that? Absolutely. And I don't believe that my people here are rapists or those in the church who will come from the backgrounds that they do that. They're rapists. That's just foolish. It could have been said better. But my point is, if now the border is going to be secure, I'm with that. Because here's the thing. If we don't secure the border, and let's say all the people that are here illegally get their way, you become a citizen. Well, what about the next group that comes in illegal after you? It will keep tearing down your very own system. And so even as an illegal, you don't want it to continue to be illegal. That's why people like Ishmael believe the way they do. And if you want help on that, there's a, a video by Prager University of a woman from South America who came here legally and is saying, if we do not change how we do immigration here, we will tear down this nation as a people the same way our nations are torn down. Like, why isn't Guatemala a place you want to go? And I thought it was a funny post because somebody wrote, uh, wrote this meme and said, all of you racists want to go to Canada after, you know, if Trump gets elected. Why don't you want to go to Mexico, you racist so-and-sos? Because why is it they always threaten to go to Canada? Why is it they always threaten to go there? If Mexico is such a great place, such a fair government, if so much stuff can be really done right, why do they want to go there? Why is it when we talk about that, you know, the border didn't cross me, I, uh, I didn't cross the border, the border crossed me, you know, the Texan, Texas, Mexican stuff. If you ask the people in Texas that are Latino, okay, let's say you had a choice, A, you remain a part of America, and now you just move on. A war, people lose, people win. It's the way it's always been. Okay, you just move on. Or we give this land back to Mexico. Ask people in Texas what they want. They don't want that land to go back to Mexico. They left Mexico for a reason. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have countries that we've come from. My family came from Poland and Italy. But my grandpa, who was Italian, went back to fight in World War II, and they could have sent him on the Italian front. And so an Italian-American was ready to kill Italian communists. See, are you understanding? If you're here, you are now an American, and you love this nation. That means if Mexico does send over rapists or people become rapists and you're law enforcement, you go ahead and you do whatever it takes. 
And that's why if you just, you just got to understand, a lot of those Border Patrol guys that you see supporting Trump, they're not white people. They're Hispanic Border Patrols. They're Hispanics. They see it firsthand. They're the ones arresting them, and they know that these guys they arrested, they send right back over the border, and Mexico's court system doesn't care about it, just releases them, and they come right back over. Now, that may not be intentional by the Mexican government. I get that, and Donald Trump should have said that better. But the point is, let's stop being naive about these places, okay? Let's stop acting like it's all just the same. It ain't all the same. When I visited Mexico, I had to be told to stay inside my resort because there was people kidnapping tourists. Are you understanding me? I mean, I'm not, I have nothing against Mexico, but you know the problems that they have there. And so what I just want to say about immigration is those of us who are here, let's pray that it's done right for all people to come. And once we can find a secure way to bring people to our nation, let's open up the doors. Here's the way I look at it. Because of fair trade and because of capitalism, these former communist uh, nations like China and India are being le uh, leaping and jumping, being lifted out of poverty. A billion people in China have been lifted out of poverty because of capitalism as they've changed their, their way of doing things. And 300 million in India. You know why that is? Because they found out and they strategized in uh, uh, capitalism. They could not compete with us when it came to inventions and all of those things. But you know where they could compete with us was the production of our labor for the thing, the production of the things that we invent, like our iPhones, like our TVs, all of those things. And so they came up and took away our workforce. That is why 70,000, not 70,000 just people, 70,000 factory jobs have left since Clinton's NAFTA wrong trade deals. And that's why, like, my, my, my wife's father, father-in-law, he's my father-in-law, Greek, came here from another country. What was he able to do? Work at Brock's Candy Factory on... Oh, uh, on, right there by Ohio Park on Cicero by the expressway. Well, guess where that factory went up and went? To Mexico for cheap labor and to take that job away. And so here's the idea. We need to renegotiate. I sound like a politician. But here's the thing. We need to renegotiate those trade deals and bring back the factory jobs here. And then, listen to me. I don't care who comes over. Pedro, I don't care if it's from Mexico, from Europe, from wherever. They, let them all come. Let's build up a workforce. And what does that normally do? You start with the one who comes. That's the great job for them because you know if you're in Mexico or Poland or especially Greece right now where my in-laws are from you having a factory job that pays you 30,000 a year with benefits you will swim the Atlantic Ocean to get over here if you can and then what happens then their children come their children get educations like my wife and it changes their system it changes their culture and that's the way it happens and so that's all I got to say <laughs> there 33 minutes, I'm so sorry. It was literally just supposed to be a five-minute talk. But let me end with this now. Let's love each other. Let's love each other. I gave you a chance last Sunday night to talk on this microphone. It was, I pointed here because it was right there. And I let you give me whatever you had to give me. And I heard what people had to say. You can still let me know what you have to say. We're not here to force it on you. I'm not here to take this as a bully pulpit. But I expect that our church looks at these things with maturity. If we're going to disagree on immigration, we're going to do it in Christian love. And, and let me just say this. I'm going to preach again because you know what? I, I don't want to go back. And let me just tell you this. Just like how you can go leave and go to the black church, just like how you can go leave and go to the Hispanic church, just like how you can go to the Filipino church and just hear what you want to hear from your culture, I could go leave and start a church in Barrington and just hear what the white people think. But I refuse to do that. 
So don't think that you're the only one that can quit on this city or quit on integration and quit on diversity. I can quit on it too and just say, well, I'll just go move to Barrington and go talk to all the white people. And if they're not white, at least they're rich and they think like white people because isn't that what most poor people or city people think? Well, if you live out in Barrington, you white anyway. Well, I'm black. Looks like I'm black to me. No, you white because you live with all of them. That's what they, th I'm telling you, that's what people think, isn't it? But that's how we got to stop thinking that way. I'm not giving up on this church. I'm not giving up on this city. When I travel to places and they put us down, I say, nope, that's not all who we are. We got beautiful people in Chicago. I say, I have never met the ni more nicer people in Chicago. And I've been all through the deep south, but I've met nice, loving, kind people in Chicago of every ethnic background, uh, everybody who's brought me to their home, because you got to always remember, I'm not from here. I'm from Indiana. I spent 18 years in Indiana, seven years in New Orleans, and now I've spent 13 years here. And I love it here, and I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. Amen? I just wish the weather could come here like it is in Florida. I don't want to leave Chicago. I just wish Florida weather could come here right now. Uh, but we've been having a great fall, haven't we? Amen. Now, if you have any disagreements or anything that you really just want to get off your chest, uh, Ricky, would you raise your hand, please? You can take it all out on him. Tell him all of what I, ha what I said that you disagree with. And I mean that in a, a half kid. But you can really talk to Ricky and sort it all out because I don't want to talk about it anymore. No, I'm kidding, half kid. But you can let me know if I missed it. Okay, now we are in a series on John. You guys ready for this? Do you want to get well? And I feel this is what we need to learn today. Let's go to John chapter 5. I have really dedicated my life to being a man of honesty. And I just, I got so many things I could say as well, but kind of unrelated, but on the same thing. I was checking out some of my pastor friends and looking at their pictures on their, you know, their private pages or their uh, posts and everything. It was as if they were in la-la land. I mean, it was as if nothing was happening, nothing was going on. And I know what they're thinking because that's not how they are in person. Don't you ever think that pastors don't have an opinion. You know what they're doing? They're just playing it safe. They're just playing it safe. And I know a lot, of, especially in the Latino community, a lot of them voted Republican, and they aren't going to say nothing. Because they know the moment I come out and tell you how I really feel, they're going to feel like they lose all these people. Because you know what? They got them just for the money. And I don't want to say like that. Lord, forgive me. I'm not like everybody's out for the money. But I just feel so bad for people in churches where they don't know what their pastor stands on. At least here you can go, well, he gave me something to think about. I agree or disagree. I'll go home and pray. And, and you know, I, I could see if I, if I browbeated you every week. But I don't even talk about it. You know, I just, I just wanted to come out this week because it was such a huge thing. And, you know, I want you to know where I stand. I feel bad for churches that don't know where their pastor stands. And I grew up in a church like that and was around churches like that. And the pastor, I even heard, I remember him saying, um, one of the, you know, he was a great pastor. One of my friends in Minneapolis went to a big church. They supported me on missions and everything. And uh, when I was pastoring in New Orleans, very similar to the church I grew up in, and I just remember the pastor saying, now I know it's election time, but don't you ask me who I'm going to vote for. I don't want to talk to you guys about it. And he just wanted to ignore it. Now, that would be okay if that was truly his personality. Maybe there is a pastor somewhere out there that actually doesn't have an opinion about politics. But the moment you would get alone with him, the moment you would be in the car with him, he would tell you everything that he thought about politics. And I just don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair. I think it's fair that you go to this church, you employ my wife and I, at least you know what's going on. And that's why I wanted to clarify those things. Okay? Amen? Let's go to the sermon. Sometime later, John chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, 
uh, near the sheep gate was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Does everybody get what's going on? Jesus is walking. He's going to a pool by the sheep gate, and it's called Bethesda in Aramaic, and it's covered with five colonnades. So there's a pool with five pillars around it, and this is where people would dump their sick people at. Verse 5, one who had been there for 38 years, he was invalid, Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, asked them, asked him, do you want to get well? Now, doesn't that sound like a silly question to ask a sick person? But it's a true question we need to ask. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Uh, when the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Now, verse 8 and onward, when Jesus said to him, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which he took, this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. So Jesus sees this man who's sick. He's been there for a long time, 38 years. He says, do you want to get well? The guy gives him a bunch of excuses. Jesus just doesn't pay any attention to that, says, get up, take up your mat and walk. The man is healed, gets up and takes a, his mat and walks. And then these Jewish leaders tell him, that's illegal. You can't do that. The law forbids this. Now, actually, you're going to find out later, the law didn't forbid this. This was a tradition of men. They treated it as law. But the man replied back to them. He said, uh, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. It's like, I'm going to listen to that guy, right? The guy who just made me walk again, I think I'm going to do whatever he says. Uh, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Notice, they don't even care about the miracle. These guys are more concerned about this person breaking a religious rule than the very fact that the man who that's not walked in 38 years, it's now walking. Just shows you what religion will do to you. And that any kind of ideology that blinds you from common sense. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, and that's an awesome conversation right there, is that this man didn't even know who Jesus was, but Jesus knew who he was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Don't you just love Jesus? I just love him. He always keeps it real. I mean, he heals the man. He's not even there to get attention. He kind of walks away. Guy doesn't know who he is. He ends up running back into him, and then he says, listen, you better stop sinning or something else is going to happen to you. It's going to be a lot worse than this. And it's like, oh, snap. Jesus wants us to live holy. Jesus wants us to obey God's commands. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus. Hey, I found out who it was. It's, it's Jesus. He made me well. So there we have the context of um, this third sign that John brings up. I'll skip the introduction and just go to the review. The seven signs of John are clean, uh, changing the water into wine, healing the royal official's son, healing the paralytic, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing of the blind man, and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This week's homework assignment was reading John chapter 5. I am almost afraid to even ask if you did it because I've been so disappointed. Did anybody read John chapter 5 this week? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, a few of you. Please, next week, read John chapter 6. And if you forget how this thing called church works, can I tell you how it works again? You read your Bible, and I preach on the Bible. That's how it works. We need a partnership here. We need a dance. If you just kind of stop dancing with me, it's just me all by myself up here. So next week, you read John chapter 6, and then what am I going to do with John chapter 6? Preach. Okay, so you read, I preach. Okay. 
Now, we understand this is the theme of John because John chapter 30 tells us, uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 rather, tells us Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples. Remember, John the Apostle is is a disciple. He's the one writing this. And it says, which are not recorded in this book. What is he telling you right there? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. We get that word synoptic to mean, uh, comes from synonymous, and it means they're similar. They had a lot more miracles, and John recognizes that. But verse 31, but these are written, these seven signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing, by believing, you may have what in his name? Come on, somebody say life. Thank you, may have, you may have life in his name. And so this is where we have to look at each one of these signs and go, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you teaching us through John here? Why did you want John to pick out these particular signs? Out of all the signs that Jesus did over three and a half years, why were these so important? And if you look at the book of John, there is no other miracles than these right here. As a matter of fact, when it ends, uh, the last sign at uh, John chapter 11 with Lazarus raising from the dead, you just have Jesus teaching for the rest of the time. Then he gets crucified, buried, and resurrected. So why are these seven signs so important? I believe as the reader goes into them, we will find lessons that apply to all people at all times. So as we went over the first sign, the changing of the water and the wine, that wasn't just so they could party and have a good time. That was to teach us that Jesus can always change our lives, that Jesus can do things that nobody else can do and give us joy in his presence and literally make our life like wine, joyful and full of peace in his, his presence. The next thing that we learned was last week was the healing of the royal official's son. Why did this get put in there? Probably, and what we talked about was because it showed us the great humility of a man willing to do whatever it takes to see God move. It's like if this guy saw a miracle and he was in charge of people and he wasn't too proud to ask, how much more should all of us come to God and ask for a miracle? And now today, the healing of the paralytic, what I believe this teaches us is that Before Jesus does miracles in our lives, before Jesus changes us, before Jesus does things in our life, he asks us the question, do you want to get well? That's what he's really getting to the heart at here in this story is there's a lot of sick people all all over the place, but Jesus wants to know who here really wants to get well. And why is this important? Because so often in our lives, we define our identity, uh, who we see who we are, a lot of times based on our sicknesses based on our weaknesses. Now, obviously, if you can't walk and you're used to being in a wheelchair, that's going to define who you are. But I think it goes beyond here, just the physical ailments that define who we are. Imagine if you're somebody here and you were brought up in an abusive family and you always thought thought that people didn't love you and reject you. You could live your life based on that rejection. And literally, if, if, if you had the chance to change, you may still change, uh, choose to, to be rejected. And you say, Pastor, I don't understand. Who would want to stay sick? Well, people do all the time. People do all the time. You see, the rejection, that pain that you have, sometimes makes you bitter. And then that bitterness becomes your comfort. And I have met a lot of bitter people in life. And you just want to shake them and go, stop being bitter, be better. But then the moment you ask them if they want to stop being bitter, they give you all of these excuses to stay bitter. Why? Because to, to get better would mean they would have to try at life again. They would have to try at love again. They would have to try to trust again. And some people don't want to open up their heart, so they want to stay sick. They would rather be left there in their pain and their own misery because it's least something that they know than to try something new. 
I remember when I first became a missionary to the inner city of New Orleans working in those housing projects. You think the moment I would show up to the Calio projects, you know, where Master P was from. Literally, it's like Cabrini Green, just, you know, just brick housing everywhere you can see. Thousands of people living in this community and so many of the things degraded and torn down, the parks and the uh, the schools and, and, the, and just the playgrounds, I mean, just not kept up, just totally abandoned. You would think, here comes a pastor, here comes somebody with a bus saying, come on guys, let's go play basketball over here. Come on guys, let's go have a rap concert over here. Let's go do this. You would think that I would just instantly have filled up that bus and kids would come running. But no, they didn't. Oftentimes they, they, they chose to stay there. And I, and I was mind blown. I'm thinking, Man, I, I was feeling sorry for you guys. I, I'm thinking you were just here because you were stuck and nobody came to help you. But then I began to realize, like especially like the Calio Projects and Malfamine and Magnolia, you know, like where the hot boys are from. All of a sudden, I started to realize after my church bus left, three more church buses came. And I started to realize there was a lot of churches that had been there even before me trying to reach out, but people wanted to stay in that kind of sin. I heard the African missionary say the same thing. Here I'm going to go to these people, many of them with cannibalism, many of them with their ways that are pagan. I'm going to come and bring Jesus to them. We're going to bring technology to them. We're going to come and bring them health uh, care and take care of them. They would reject them. They would cast them out. We would want, we want to stay this way. We like our pagan tradition. We like doing these things. I remember the story of the missionaries coming on their planes, like the ones we support here, that are going to the Congo. It was started by people who graduated from Wheaton in the 50s and 60s, and they went to Central America. And you can watch their story at the end of the spear. Uh, Jim Elliott and these guys, they land in Central America with their planes. These, they, these people think they're gods, and they actually want to worship them at first. They, but then they teach them, no, 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 we're, we're just normal people using technology. But then they began to understand that they wanted to teach them about Jesus. And so they took that as a threat, not as a good thing, but they knew because they were being told these are not warriors, but they got so threatened that just them teaching Jesus to their tribe, the tribal leaders set them up, told their women to tell them, we'll all come out, let them teach us. When they did that and had the women set that up, the men were waiting with spears and were throwing spears at them and started killing them. And the pilots had, had guns on them had guns on them, and they refused to shoot them and kill them because they were so, they were filled with so much compassion. And, and, and I don't know how it went, but it, it, in the movie, the guy just puts his gun up in the air, you know, kind of let people know he's in danger. You know, he just puts up his gun up in the air and lights off around, and he goes, why are you doing this? We've come to help you. Why are you doing this? Now you just think to yourself, isn't that how all of us are in our sin? Here comes Jesus as a Savior, dying on the cross for our sins. Sins like what? Sins like pornography. Sins like anger. Sins like racism. Sins that really bring down our lives. Sins, sins like same-sex attraction. Sins like stealing and lying. All these things. And Jesus comes to us and says, hey, I've come to give you freedom from your sins. And what do most of us do? Especially when we were sinners. What did we do? We wanted our sin. And so that's why this is such an important message because Jesus is teaching us here that, hey, I can heal you. I can change you. I can set you free. But the real question is, do you want to be free? Do you want to change? Do you want a different life or do you like just coming around here all the time? Do you want a different life? How many want a different life? 
I know that I do. When we look at this story, we can break it down and get some concepts out of it. The first thing that we can see is that Jesus loves to come where the hurting and abandoned people are to change their situation. Jesus could have went around that pool and went to another pool, like a pool party. He could have went to where all the aristocrats were, you know, sipping on their fine wine, just enjoying life as it was, getting suntans. But Jesus purposely went to where the hurting people are. What does that tell me today is that Jesus is coming to where you are. If you're hurting today, you don't have to wonder where God is. God is coming to you. God is there in the midst of our hurts. God is there in the midst of our pain. God doesn't abandon us when other people do. Sometimes we can't hear the voice of God when we're at the party because we're so busy listening to men. But it's oftentimes that we hear God the best when we're not at the party, when they've abandoned us and left us in our times of hurt and pain, that now we can actually still ourselves to hear from God. Isn't that so true? I know that's the way it is for me. When life's going good, it's hard to hear from God. It's hard to hear these commands whispered in my ear because life's so good. I'm great. Look at all the things that prove it to me. I have friends. I have family. I have money. But let something go wrong. Let the economy hit, uh, a recession like it did. I had these friends. I, at that time, I was doing wakeboarding. I would go out there to Fox River. And I'm telling you, right before that recession hit, I think God even just let me see it as a sign so I could preach it to you because it was amazing. I would see $150,000 boats out there there guys taking off the weekend starting on Thursdays you know I mean just lap of luxury the houses they would live in some of them had two houses their lake house there and just a house in the suburbs not even but 20 30 miles from each other but because they wanted to place the doctor boat and the barbecue they had two houses I'm telling you that's what it was like but the moment that recession hit I was talking to those guys who owned those boats had those businesses they started closing their businesses they started selling off their boats they started going into foreclosure the ones that didn't have to have that extreme stuff going on. They had to maybe just sell one of their houses. I mean, it was bad. But what did God show people during that recession? Is that you can't even count on your jobs. Jobs are good. Obviously, it's good. But you can't count on it. you got to count on Jesus. It's like, who do you trust more? The baker, the candlestick maker, or the one who makes all those things? You know, my God makes the wheat that the, that the baker gets. Where does wax come from? Where does wax even come? My God makes that stuff too. Where does wax come from? Oil? Yeah, you make it from oil. My God makes where oil comes from. You know, are you relying upon the thing that you have right now or the one that makes those things? That's what God teaches us. And Jesus shows us here. He's where the hurting are. He's where the pain is at. Jesus is here today to comfort all those who are hurting. The next thing that we see, it's not everyone who wants to, who is sick wants to get well. That's why Jesus requires our faith. If Jesus was just moving on pity or people's needs, Jesus would be every single place where people are hurting. But Jesus are uh, doing the miracles where every place that people are hurting. But not every place where people are hurting is are miracles happening. I mean, once again, you would think, and I use the inner city as just an example, but I'll use the gay and lesbian, uh, the, um, the Boys Town example as well. You would think me going out there to Boys Town, uh, and Nancy and I would go to Belmont and Clark. We went there every Friday and Saturday for about three years. You would think that the people there would just come to me and say, Oh, Pastor, I'm so glad that you're on these streets telling us about Jesus. The reason why I'm in this lifestyle is because I didn't have a good same-sex relationship with my mother or father. I have a lot of pain and confusion. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm suicidal. I don't feel content with my sexuality. This is the way I'm expressing it. And oftentimes, even in these relationships, it ends in brokenness and abuse. It ends in drug use. I mean, you should just study all the things that happen in that community, right? You would think they would just say, I'm so glad you've came to tell me the truth, uh, Pastor. Do you think that's what Belmont and Clark said to me? When I went out there telling them that God has a better way, 
No, because not every sick person wants to get well. What, what did I tell my mother that day when I was 18 years old and I asked her to put me in a mental hospital and she said she would give me Jesus? Did I say, oh, I'm so excited about Jesus. I've never heard about Jesus before. I've never been to church before. Mom, well, that sounds like something new. No, I was raised in church. I purposely rejected Jesus. I hated what they stood for. And so when my mom mockingly in my mind said she'll give me Jesus instead of real actual help, I cussed her out on the phone. Why? Because I didn't want to get well. I wanted my sickness and a good life. And you see, I actually thank God that many of us have sickness and not a good life because we're actually in a place where we can learn that sickness is sickness. The ones that I actually fear for the most, this is between you and me as a pastor, are those who are absolutely sick and they don't know it. I had one of my missionary friends tell me this because she works in Mozambique and, uh, you know, in the orphanages there and 5,000 uh, people they've helped and, and help on a regular basis and they have all these centers all over and now she's actually in South Africa and we support her, by the way, uh, Tisa and Jean, Nicole, if you look them up online, that's another one of our missionaries we support and she works with this woman who founded this missionary that helps all these thousands of people. Her name is Heidi Baker. You can look her up online, awesome woman of God. Well, you know what Heidi Baker taught her, and she also taught me, and it, I just receive it. She said, it's easy working with people who know they're orphans and poor and need help. It's the ones that don't know they're orphans and poor and need help that are the tough ones. In America, we're, we're orphans. We don't have God in our lives as our father. We're out here all by ourselves, devil abusing us. We're so poor on the inside. Like the Bible says, you think you're rich. You think you're clothed in all these fine garments. You're really naked, miserable, blind, and poor. You don't see who you are here. And those are the ones as a pastor that I fear for. You know, because they think when they leave out here, they leave the will of God, that they, that they can get that kind of American dream and hold it together, that it will take away their sickness and make them feel better. But all they're doing is just holding back the pain. All they're doing is deceiving themselves. It really still remains. Does everybody understand that? Have you seen that in life, how people try to pretend it's not there? But you can even see it sometimes in our media, can't you? You can start to see the cracks of what they're dealing with. So the question is, do you want to get healed? The next thing that we see as we break down this passage is that Jesus heals because he's our healer. He's not a magician to heal. He's not, he's not doing it because he's a doctor, though those things are great and a magician may be fun to watch. He's doing it because he came to reveal the kingdom of heaven on earth. Just put yourself in Jesus' shoes, the God-man. You've come from heaven. Think about that. He's come from heaven. He knows what heaven is like. No one has done that before. So people have seen visions of heaven, but he has actually dwelt in heaven, and now he comes here. What would you do? Uh, maybe you're like me. Let's put it like this. What would you do if you came to a house that uh, was dirty and you're a cleanly person and they left out the room for a second? What would you do in that situation? You're going to start cleaning. You're going to say, man, let me just put this away for them. Man, it's so dirty up in here. Let me just help you real quick. I know you were busy, but let me help you. I feel that way, too, because I have a lot of kids, and sometimes I come to kids, you know, parents' house where they have a lot of kids, too, and there's toys on the couch, and I'm like, here, let me just help you put this to the side. Now, don't be looking at me when I come to your house if I'm doing that, but that's just out of my nature because I just start putting away stuff. What, what do you think Jesus is doing when he comes from heaven to earth? What do you think he's doing? He's, he's putting stuff back in order. He's going, oh, you shouldn't be like that. You should be healed. This is what it's like in heaven. Oh, you shouldn't be addicted to that. You should be free from that. That's what it's like in heaven. You shouldn't be lonely, feeling depressed. You should know you have joy and a peace because God's with you. That's what it's like in heaven. Everything Jesus is doing, he's rearranging and fixing to show us what it looks like in heaven. That's why he's doing it. So he wants to heal this man to show us what does it look like in heaven. People are healed internally, 
physically, emotionally, all kinds of feeling come. The next thing that we learn is that Jesus doesn't care about religious traditions. You don't think that Jesus knew of that time they had a rule about not carrying your mat on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a sacred day to them. The Sabbath was similar to like how we go to church on Sunday and don't work and rest and spend time with our family. But God did give them a lot of laws that they had to keep. But these guys just loved laws because they wanted to make themselves better in the eyes of men. So they started making up laws, not for the sake of God, but to put down other people. And that's where religion comes from. Hello, people. Let me just ask you a question. If I wanted you to come to church every Sunday, what do you think is better a way for me to get you to come to church every Sunday? Just saying, come to church every Sunday? Or for me to say this, unless I feed you this wafer and you drink this, your sins are not forgiven. What do you think gets you to come better to church on Sunday? Just asking you or telling you if I don't feed you communion, you're not right with God. Hello? See, a man made a rule to try to manipulate you to do more. How about this? Confess your sins. Confess your sins. That's one way to get you to do it. Another way is confess your sins to me, Joker. I want to know what you got in your life. I want to hear what you got going on. You, me, in that closet, you tell me what you did last night. See, what do you think? See, religion gets people to believe that they're doing something good, but it's really only trying to please men. And Jesus was not here to try to please men. Jesus told him to carry that mat, and you just go walk home, and I don't care what they say to you. And I got an example I'm going to bring up in a little bit because some of y'all probably don't quite get it yet, and I got an example that's going to, like, bring it in. You're going to be like, oh, I get it now. Some of you in the second, uh, first service, you might remember that. Now, Jesus, what does he remind us of when he talks to this man about not sinning anymore? That there's actually a far worse thing coming to everybody who doesn't love Jesus. So think of this real quick. We see the man laying by the, uh, the pool. We all feel sorry for him, especially all of us who are not crippled, right? We're like, I'm glad I'm not that guy. But I feel bad for him, so I wish I could help him. Well, now that he's well, he's quote-unquote normal like all of us, does Jesus go, there you go, have a good life. No, he says, hey, even normal people will go to hell if they keep on sinning. So let me just tell you, don't forget about me. Now that you can walk, don't go to the dance club, start witnessing for me. Don't use your talents to go to hell, use them to go to heaven. Can I get an amen? See, we would think, like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. You know, this person really needs Jesus, the homeless guy. And I've dealt with a lot of homeless people, and you ask them that same question. I don't ask if they're hungry, food, none of that. You know what I ask them? Do you want to get off the streets? You'll find out real quick if they want to or not. You know, they come hobbling down. They got their sign. You know, come knock on your window. Just roll it down. Do you want to get off the streets? You'll see how fast what they're, what they're out there for. You want to get off the streets? Let's get you off the streets right now. I brought in over 30 homeless people, but I talked to 1,000 people. Because I used to live in New Orleans. They came down there all the time. I could only pull off 30 people in about seven years. And most of those went right back to the streets the next day. Only a few of them continued living for God because they didn't want to be free. Now, I know some deal with mental illness. I'm not saying that for, for, for those who don't really comprehend what they're doing. There's a lot of schizophrenia out there. But I'm talking the ones that are really fighting what God has for them. Want to be out there. And you, you just think, how in the world could you want to be out here? You would think like you've lost everything. But that's how they are. And we are that same way when we're in sin. And so we better be careful when we're looking down, quote, unquote, people who we think need it more because we're better than them. What if God is looking at you? Let me give you a perfect example. I had a guy come into our church. He was addicted to gambling, but had a lot of money, had a business, looked like he was doing awesome. And so everybody else would be like, is this closing time? Okay. No, it's okay. I'll just have you start playing anyway. It makes sense. It makes sense. I've been preaching for a while. You can start playing. Thank you. It's like somebody texted her. 
get up there and start playing the piano. Shut him down. We heard him talk for 30 minutes on politics. We're done. It's 3 o'clock. But we're good. Let's have some fun. Thank you. Thank you. So, so if I'm telling you, because we all, we all have done this, judged by the external, I show you this guy, show you his wife, show you his house, show you his car, show you his business, what are you going to be like? Oh, my gosh, this guy's got it made. But on the inside, he's addicted to gambling. See, God said, do you want to get well? His excuse, his way of thinking can't be, well, I'm better than so-and-so, this gambler here who's lost everything and lives on the streets. No, the question goes right to his heart. Do you want to get well? Because if you don't want to get well, not only will you suffer in this life, but there's a world to come, and it's going to be a lot worse for you there. So judge not lest you be judged. For the same standards you judge, you will be judged by. The last thing is that his testimony is so powerful is that we need to learn from him to have the same kind of testimony to go back to those who have even ridiculed us and ridiculed Jesus and tell them about Jesus. Now, let me put this in a way I think everybody will get. I had a lot more young people in the first service, but I still think you guys will get this. Now, watch this. The Jewish people who ended up having Jesus murdered, killed him, who tried to kill him a bunch of different times but it didn't work, who stoned people, tried to stone the woman there caught in adultery to trap Jesus, right? The, the Jesus who did all of this, well, I mean, the Jews who did all of this, well, guess what? Those are the same guys messing with this man right here. And so this would be like, imagine you get healed and Jesus says to you, I want you to wear blue in a Latin King neighborhood and says, now you go walk over here wearing your blue sweatshirt in a Latin King neighborhood. And you're like, I don't know about that, Jesus. I don't know. But you healed me. Okay, I'm going to listen to you. Now imagine all these Latin kings coming around you going, man, what you doing here wearing blue? Who told you to come around our neighborhood wearing blue? And imagine you say back to them, I don't even know who it is. It was just somebody that healed me, and I'm happy to be alive. And he told me to wear blue and come to this neighborhood. I'm going to be willing to do that. And then they just kind of maybe push them out, you know, get them to leave the neighborhood. Now imagine this man meeting Jesus, find out who it is, right, in our scenario here, being with this, this the gang thing. And now the man, imagine, going back on his own, still wearing blue, going, let me tell you guys something. I know who told me to wear blue. It was Jesus, and I'm not as scared of you guys. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to keep wearing blue. That's exactly what, what this man was willing to do. He's taking his mat, breaking all the rules because a man told him to do it. They don't, he don't know who it is. He goes back and finds out, and he doesn't run away. You would just think at that point, like, I ain't telling them who told me to do that. I'm just leaving these guys alone. He was so bold in his testimony. He said, I don't care what you do to me. I met a man who healed me and changed my life. And that's the kind of boldness that we need when it comes to serving Jesus. You go back to Abuela with her statue of the Mother Mary. And you go, Jesus told me not to do that, Awela. He told me that we should only pray, you know, to him and get to the Father. Well, I'm not going to make you any more of my taquitos or whatever. That's okay, Awela. I still love you, right? Same thing with my Polish grandmother. This freaked out a girl from church. I, I came to preach for New Life Covenant. When I was living in New Orleans, they brought me up to preach. And I said, listen to me. I need you to take me to see my grandmother. I want to preach to her. I know she's getting to be old. And they brought me there. And this freaked this girl out. That was kind of like 
interested in her a little bit. I'm, it wasn't as good as Nancy. That's why God didn't allow it to happen. It was actually like Choco's daughter that he adopted into his life. And I just remember Choco sitting me down in his office. He's like, don't you ever take out this girl by yourself again. He was really upset with me. But anyways, I took this girl out by myself. She took me to, the, uh, to, to, to my grandmother. It freaked her out because I was preaching to my grandma, you know, just really wanted to share the love of Jesus. But she kept saying this Roman Catholic stuff to me, you know, like, oh, Joey, Joey, I go to Mass, I go to Mass. And that's how she was. She was tapping me on my leg going, I go to Mass, Joey. I, she was Polish, you know, that's how she was raised. Just like these Polish people I pass every time on the way to church, you're going to that Polish church. It's just religion. But this is what freaked out the girl. I go to my knees and I grab her hand and I put it to my chest. And I, I go, Jesus can't be out there. Jesus has to be here. And I started weeping to the point I could not even talk anymore. And I said, Grandma, I want you to know that Jesus. You see, that's the kind of brokenness we should have towards a world that doesn't know our Jesus. We should be willing to go to them. Yes, rebuke, correct, tell them the things they're doing wrong. But we should come with that kind of heart. I could see this man going there with a little bit of sass. He's not afraid. But if you would have sat down and talked to him and maybe you were his Jewish relative and you were used to doing things that way, I could see him with tears coming down his eyes going, but, but guys, you don't understand. This is not religion anymore. I'm talking about a relationship with the God who made us. It's worth us being rejected by our people. I would rather have God for me and people against me than to have people for me and God against me. Here's the breakdown in closing. Oh, we already did the breakdown. Sorry. Here's the questions in closing. Number one, do you want to get well? Think of three areas right now before we go that you want God to change you in right now. You're not making any excuses. You know these need to change. You know that Jesus is looking at your life right now, and he's saying, do you want to get off that? Do you want to stop that? Do you want to stop acting that way? Do you want to stop thinking that way? Well, be honest with yourself right now. Think of three in your heart and just be like, yes, Lord, I want to get well. The next thing is, would you, are you willing to obey Jesus rather than men? Because that's what it's going to take. Him taking up his mat and walking was obeying Jesus more than his culture. You know, we talked a lot about the elections at the beginning. Are you willing to break with your culture? I've already done it. I don't want to be like white suburban people. I want to be like Jesus. I'm not here to lift up the American culture. I'm here to lift up Jesus. When I went to India and I was preaching the gospel, I didn't come there telling them about how great America is. I came there washing their feet, talking about how great Jesus is. And they literally looked at me and they said, no one has ever washed our feet. I said, I know, because most of my friends, when they come over here to preach to you guys, they get you to fill up these stadiums, take pictures, and go back home and talk about how awesome they are. And no one spends time with you. I said, I want you to know how special and important you are. And Ricky's my witness. Did we not wash those men's feet? And that was like the feet of Jesus people. I'm talking, they walk in sandals all around with animal stuff, dirt, dirty feet in a third world country. He was there with me. We washed their feet and we said, we love you. We tore down their caste system. We tore down their mentality of religion that I was supposed to be some awesome dude. And we loved them and we empowered them. See, because I'd rather obey Jesus than man. 
Amen? Every time, let me just say this to you. Every time you come into this storefront, you're looking at a pastor that would rather obey Jesus than man. I'm not saying every big church is bad. Don't get me wrong. Great churches, pastors have already paid their price. But I purposely left the rat race to do this so I could please God more than man. I resigned, passed down position, have take, taken less. The reason why? Because we want this. I wanted this. That man wanted healing. He didn't care who he offended because he wanted healing and that mat more than he wanted to lay on that mat, right? He wanted to carry the mat more than he wanted to lay on that mat. Whew, there's that old preach right there. I'm tired of laying on the mat, amen? Some of you, let me just tell you right now, some of you think your life is what you deserve. Don't you know people your age have already died? You're here by God's grace, so why are you holding back your life right now? You're acting like, well, it's mine, and, uh, you know, it's up to me what I do. Don't you know every one of us could already be dead right now? Every one of us. Your life doesn't belong to you. It's a gift of God. So why are you being stingy with it now? Give it all to Jesus. The next question we have to ask is, are we willing to live holy? Because he's not just here to be a miracle worker. He's here to be our master as well. And I think about that in this church, and it happens all the time. And this is always a growing church. We've grown as much as 30% in one year. Uh, we've doubled in other years. Like when you go from 10 to 20 in one year, that's pretty awesome. You double. Uh, we've, we've grown 30%. This year we're on track to grow somewhere around 10, 15, 20%. We'll see as it ends. But listen to me. I see it every time. I see it every time. It's the people who come to the church. They love the music. They love how casual we are. They love the, the humor. Maybe they came on a day like today, baby dedication. The place is full. It's popping. It's going on. But then I could see they, they, they start to run into something we call discipleship. <laughs> they start to run into it's like, whoa, what is this? Well, I, uh, is there a way around this? Uh, I mean, is that guy uh, get around this thing here? Because I was just coming because I like the music, dress casual, I love the preaching, it makes me laugh, it's intense, but I can deal with that, whatever. And it's like, poof, they run right into discipleship, and they're like, whoa. See, that's what's important to Jesus. It wasn't just Jesus wanted to just help him, give him a Snickers bar, you know, kind of like how sometimes we go to the inner city, just give them some food and send them on their way. You can be proud of what God is doing here. You know, we have been going to Ohio Park picking up young people to come to this church for 10 years now. We just don't go out to the inner city to give them a little basketball tournament, which we've done, and do rap concerts, which we've done. We don't just do that. We pick them up every week and say, now, which one of you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Which one of you want to be a leader? Which one of you wants to make a difference? And finally, now, after 10 years, you're seeing them become 17-year-old, 18-years-old, and they're living for Jesus. So here, let me ask you a question. Do you want to live holy? Or do you just want Jesus to fix your business? Just fix my business, Jesus. I'm tired of sitting here by broke, busted, and disgusted pool. Just make me rich again and make me happy, whatever, and I'll just I'll come to church every now and then. No, Jesus is not going to let you be like that. Jesus is going to come check on you and go, hey, don't you go back to the sinning or doing crazy stuff or you'll go to hell. And here's the last thing. You know, it's like the way I like to say it is like this is Jesus loved us enough to tell us about hell. Sometimes people mock us as Christians because we talk about hell, but it's like, dear God, didn't he love us enough to talk about it? He loved us enough to tell me about it. I don't go to heaven because I don't want to go to hell. I go to heaven because Jesus is there. But I'm glad that he loved me enough to tell me if I didn't do those things, there would be consequences. And lastly, do you want to be that bold witness? Are you going to be that person that when the miracles happen, you're not going to be shy about it? 
let me give you an example. I was out at Wright College last week, and I was talking to a young man, real tall, muscular. I mean, Ulysses, you were there, right? He's kind of a big guy, cool-looking guy. I mean, just the kind of guy you would want to be a Christian just because you're like, you're going to influence people. You're going to change people's lives. Of course, I want everybody to be a Christian, but it's awesome when leaders want to be a Christian. Well, this guy, you know what he was so impressed with? This guy, the cool kid, like he literally looked like he was like a quarterback type guy. You know what he was impressed with? He was impressed with Ulysses and Isaiah for coming to preach the gospel. He was saying, man, I'm just, I'm just so shy when it comes to preaching. And I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, you are bigger than me. You're more handsome. You, like, you are the guy that should just be walking around going, I love Jesus and I have nothing to lose, you know? Like, almost like a Tim Tebow guy. I can't talk about his looks enough, you know? Like, a, am I not telling the truth? Like, Tim, Tebow, and him would be like twinsies. But this guy, when it came to sharing his faith, he was just saying, I'm just so shy. And we told him, we said, man, you keep coming out with us. You meet us out here. God will make you bold so you can tell your friends and family about this because this is what matters. This is the thing we should be bold about. And I even told him, I said, man, I'll give you one of our shirts because that will kind of start a conversation right off the bat anyways, right? Those of you who wear those shirts, you know what I'm talking about, especially if you have a Chicago for Jesus shirt on and you forgot about it. You know, like sometimes, seriously, I'll just be standing somewhere and a guy's just looking at me or looking at me like this. And I'm just like, what are you looking at me for? I, literally, I forgot it the other day because I was riding my bike and I just had it on and I was at a stop sign. And this woman like kind of like comes running at me and I'm like, what you want, woman? I'm married. Look at this, you know. But I am so serious. She came like running at me. She's like, oh, my goodness. I love that cross. What do you do for Jesus in Chicago? And she started talking. I was like, oh, I got my shirt on. Okay. So start where you're at and be a bold witness for Jesus. Can we all stand to our feet? Let's give it up for Jesus. We love you, Lord. Bravo, Senor. Amen. If you love Jesus, hear what we can do about this in closing. Only those who truly want to experience the radical power of God and are willing to change, are willing to do whatever it takes, will be the ones changed. Sounds like you've heard something like that before, haven't you? If you want something new, you got to do what you've never done before. These are the principles of the Bible. If you don't like where you're at, then change it. And the amazing thing about this is, is that Jesus can do the miracle. Because the sign shows us, of course, sick people don't want to be sick any, anymore. Oh, but yeah, sometimes they do and they get stuck. Oh, but Jesus still does the miracle. So it shows us that even if we're weak sometimes and we're in a funk and get our excuses in our head and just get lost in our own thoughts, Jesus is there to say, get up and walk. Get up and walk. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not leaving you in that state. He says, I didn't come to leave you the same way I found you. And so can we just pray right now by closing our eyes and maybe thinking of those three things that you want to give to Jesus right now and say, Lord, I want to be changed. So I give these things to you. I lift them up to you. I know I'm not sick by a pool today, but there are things, God, that have been in my life too long, and I want to get up and walk from them right now. So I'm going to take my mat and go by giving it up, by releasing it. God, I want to get up and walk out of the pain of my past. Heal my heart. Heal my heart, Jesus. God, I want my job to be more in line with your plan for my life and not greed or money. Lord, I want to walk away from my discouragement.
It's not a whisper meeting. It's a prayer meeting. I double-dog dare you to pray right now. Come on, open up your mouth and pray. Don't worry about what your neighbor thinks. Let's talk to the Lord. It's you right now in Jesus. Lord, I want to leave this and do this. You know what these things are. And that's the difference between us and that man is that we can pray because we know who he is. And we've already been given permission to pray for these things. It's not a surprise to us that God wants to change us. Most of us here have already heard a message similar to this. But the real question is, do you want to be well? If you do, let him know. We'll worship just a few moments and then we'll close in prayer. But right now, pray on your own. Ladies, would you help us to worship and set that attitude and atmosphere? Thank you. Jesus, do what only you can do. Where Jesus is, is heaven on earth. Jesus' presence is here right now to change us. Get up and walk. Get up and walk right now, saints. Use your prayers. Use your prayers to get up and walk. I'm leaving this situation, Lord. I'm, I'm leaving the past behind. I believe that things can be better. I believe it, Lord. I believe it, Jesus. Jesus.